0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, and the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Luke 22, And he, that is Jesus, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And now from the epistle to the Hebrews. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year And various washings. Regulations for the body imposed. Until the time of reformation. But. When Christ appeared as a high priest. Of the good things that have come. Then through the greater. And more perfect tent. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered once for all. Into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats. And calves. But by means of his own blood. Thus securing so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: Pardon me, feels like I should just say amen after that sermon. Well, Thank you all for being here. My name is Damian. I'm the senior pastor here at New City. I have seen some guests and visitors. I'm glad you guys are here. As Ben said, we are in a sermon series called On the Cross. So every week we've been looking at a different aspect or angle of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And this morning we're looking at a concept of sacrifice. And and based on that reading, I dare to say that this concept or picture comes from a sphere of life that we're not very familiar with. Now some of the spheres of life have been very familiar. So as some examples, we talked about the fact that on the cross, Jesus does the work of reconciliation. He reconciles us to the Father. Now that comes from the sphere of relationships. We have some type of general understanding of what to be reconciled to someone means. Or you could say Jesus justified us, which is one of the pictures we looked at. And that comes from the sphere of life of the law court. So, right, Judge Judy has taught us much about how the arrangement of a law court is. And so we have a decent understanding, maybe, hopefully, of how a court of law may work, right? But this idea of sacrifice comes from the sphere of life uh, that we might call uh, cultic or ritual. Think sacrificial system, right? There's, there's talks of blood and sacrifice. So, uh, how familiar are you with your knowledge of Leviticus? Let's try this one. How familiar are you, or I could say, think of the last time that you experienced a sacrificial slaughtering? Exactly. This is definitely from a sphere of life that in our day and age, we are farther removed from than some of the others. And so I want to start with this quote uh, from an author I read this week. He says, increasing numbers of people find this language, that of sacrifice, empty, literally unintelligible, or even actively offensive, the first time, he says, I visited the, the Kali temple in Calcutta, I literally stepped in pools of blood from a sacrificed goat. I felt revulsion, and yet I saw the irony in that reaction. I've attended worship services all my life in which people talked and sang about blood shed for me. I never walked away, though, with any on my shoes before. If I was uncomfortable with the abstract, if I was if I was uncomfortable, if I wasn't comfortable, sorry, with the abstract idea, why did I shrink from the reality? And his point is, we sing about it. We may even know some things about it conceptually, but to lean into this picture of sacrifice is something that we would do good to slow down to. So therefore, in a sense, my hope is not to take on a lot of things this morning, but one particular aspect, and and, and that's this. Blood was seen as one of the most powerful cleansing agents in all of ancient Israel. It was used in the most important cleansing rites that they had. It cleansed both sin and impurity. And so we tend to talk mostly about the idea of sacrifice as a substitute for our sin or forgiveness. And this is beautiful and central truth. And if you were with us two weeks ago, Michael Allen talked about this. From Paul's teaching to the Romans, that our greatest need is to have our sin forgiven, and that this is made possible because of Jesus's death as our substitute, and we receive that by faith. That is central. This morning, I want to highlight something else that goes along with that that we oftentimes, that I oftentimes, underemphasize. emphasize And this morning, I want to highlight an aspect of sacrifice that speaks to the conception of sin as defilement, right? When's the last time you said, man, I'm defiled? I've been defiled. Probably not too recently, right? This is a big emphasis in Hebrews. And most churches today, as I mentioned, including us, we tend to forget or at least not address this, this uh, flip side of the coin to sinfulness, needing to be forgiven. And that is this uncleanness or this defilement by, from which we need to be cleansed. You see, sin makes us dirty on the inside, right? We tend to think that dirt only affects the outside, but yet even, even we, when we think about it, we may come home from, from a hard day's work, right? And, and, and it doesn't even have to be outside. We don't have to be physically dirty. And we feel like we just need to take a shower, right? In order to, to get the filth off of us from what we've experienced that day. You see, sin makes us dirty within, because sin is not only a violation of the law of God that needs forgiveness, but it's a violation of our very personhood, and so it needs cleansing. Sin stains. Sin corrupts. Sin pollutes. Sin is infectious as a disease inside of you. And it makes you impure. It makes you unclean. And so that's why the language of for us to be cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus includes both forgiveness, but also purification, which we just read about in Hebrews. And so what I want to do is I want to talk through it in three points. The second point is by far uh, the longest, but the, the first and the third are very quick. Okay. So first point is this. Sacrificial blood seals a covenant. Okay. That's why we're starting with the Lord's Supper, right? This picture, at the, uh, right before Jesus goes to die on the cross, he's ce- celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And he uses this language of his blood initiating or ratifying, you could say, the new covenant. And the reason I want to start here is because we need to place the idea of sacrifice in its proper context. And for us, the proper context to talk about sacrifice is covenant relationships. In the Bible, we see that the benefits of a sacrifice are only made possible because of God's initiating relationship with us in a covenant. This is what I mean. We could come up with all of our own ways in which we might be able to appease God because of our sin. And none of them would matter unless God first initiates to us and makes it possible. Some of us tend to think that these Old Testament sacrifices were different because the difference is since Jesus died for us we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. That's true. But we tend to think that in the Old Testament the only way they could be forgiven is that they had to do more work. They had to initiate, they had to take an animal and and have it sacrificed on their behalf. But we oftentimes forget that it was God who provided that to them. In fact, in Leviticus 17, God clearly says that he is giving them the gift of the sacrificial system in order that they might receive forgiveness. Why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because he wants to be with them. And you see, Israel had a burning problem. It's the same problem that you and I probably could think more about. And that's this. If God really is going to dwell in our midst, how does he dwell in our midst and, have his, and not have his holiness completely engulf us because of our impurity and sinfulness? How is that even possible that God could live in a tent in the middle of Israel and people don't just die instantly? How is it possible that the Holy Spirit of God can dwell in those of us who have received Jesus by faith and not completely consume us? How is that possible? Well, God makes it possible because of the covenant relationship that he enters into with us by his own initiation, right? Simply put, God desires to dwell with his people, so he enters into a covenant relationship with them, a relationship where he has committed himself to his people. And in this context of God's initiation, it makes it possible that guilty sinners can be both forgiven and cleansed. Now, if you look at the text, right, if you look at this text, it says, Jesus clearly says, this cup of my blood is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. This is clearly language that alludes to Moses in the old covenant in Exodus 24. So Moses is coming down, uh, he's on the mountain, and he takes blood, Exodus 24, 8 right? This is blood from burnt offerings and uh, peace offerings. And he threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So you see, when Jesus says to his disciples, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, clear, they would know. Like you and I were like, that, that seems like a stretch. How does it go to Moses? They would know, okay? They get it. They got it. This is a direct connection. That was the old. This is the new. But look at the connection. This is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to get from this, okay? And it's this. Blood, which is sacrifice, and covenant go together. Okay? That's the way a covenant happens. Blood always has to be shed. That's the context. So first, it is sacrificial blood seals a covenant. That's important. Now, secondly... Sacrificial blood cleanses from sin. And this is where we're going to camp out for 10 minutes. Okay? We're, if you're wondering what in the world's going on in Hebrews, it's because we're literally jumping into a middle of, a, of an entire sermon. Okay? So he's been arguing for eight chapters, five verses before we're jumping in. So just let me quickly say in Hebrews 9, the preacher is mainly concerned to develop the difference between the Old Covenant and the new covenant, particularly by saying, what's the different stipulations of worship in the old covenant versus the new covenant? That's what he's talking about in Hebrews 9. Now in verses 6 through 10, which we read, he's highlighting that in the old covenant, there was limited access to God. Okay, we'll get more to that later. But the crux of what we're going to talk about today is in verses 13 and 14. So look with me, grab your worship folder or your Bible, look in verses 13 and 14. And kids, if you can read Grab the thing from your parents and, and look at verses 13 and 14, okay? For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, there's that word, defiled, with the ashes of a, of a heifer, if that can sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this word purify has to do with pollution, right? How do you purify? Why would you even want to purify air? You'd want to purify air that is polluted, right? You want to purify water that is polluted. So the idea of sin being a pollutant in your life and in the life of God's people is all over the place in the scriptures? When's the last time you thought about your sin being like a virus that pollutes you, that dehumanizes you and everyone around you? Sin splatters. When I was being discipled in college, I had the guy who discipled me, my friend Corey, he used to tell me, Damien, sin splatters. And And I've always thought about that because it does, I don't know if he was thinking about this, but it does remind me of blood sprinkling, but also it's the, it's the effect right? You don't have to jump into a pool to get wet, right? Someone else can jump in a pool. It splatters you, right? Splatters on you. It is like a pollutant, but it doesn't just stop on the outside like you can wash it off. It gets in the inside, which is the point the writer to the Hebrews is trying to draw out, okay? And in verse 14, well, first let me say this. Uh, Sin requires then both a ransoming, right? You have to be bought back because of your sin because you're a slave to it, but it also requires purification, okay? It requires both. And clearly, the writer of the Hebrews, when he's talking about the high priest could go into the, the most holy place one time a year, so on, he's talking about Yom Kippur, this day of atonement. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And what happens on that day is totally transformed by verse 14, which is, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. This is the central part of his argument. That because Jesus offered himself, there needs to be no more sacrifices. That those who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not by bulls and goats, are completely ransomed and completely purified. But what's interesting to me is this word that he uses of to purify our conscience. Now, you know what a conscience is? A conscience is this moral map that we have in us, this, this reality where we can discern right from wrong. Now, the scary thing is your conscience can be hardened and it can be softened. And not all of that is in our control. But the blood of Jesus is so powerful that it doesn't just purify you on the outside so that you don't get burned up. By living in the camp where God lives now. But something so deep happens in you that to the core of who you are, you're not just forgiven, but you are purified. The pollutants are removed. Now, why is this important? Why is this good news? Let's sit here for a second. I know that there are things that you have done. There are things that you think things that you have thought, things that you have said, that when it comes to your consciousness, you feel dirty. I know that's true of you. It's true of every single one of you. You may not call it that, but that's what's happening. It's true of me. There are things that when you think about speaking about them, you shrink back in shame. It might be something that you transgressed against your spouse with or by, or your best friend, or your roommate. You could have confessed it, you could have been forgiven, and yet there can be this sense of dirtiness in your conscience that follows you, right? And yet maybe you haven't confessed it, right? or at least not all of it. I have found that sometimes that feeling, we can, you can call it conviction, you can call it lots of things, that feeling that you have, that, that you, it gets you to the point where it, there's so much pressure that you have a choice. You can either go to that person or bring it completely into the light and bear all and confess it all and be cleansed, take it to Jesus first, then take it to that person you've offended or sinned against. You can bear it all. Or you can treat it like a little re- release valve, right? When it comes up, you just psh, let some air out. It's like, okay, whew. all right, that's better. But then it comes up again and you push it down, you push it down, you push it down. Then you feel like you're going to explode. So you just psh, let out a little more. You see, I've found that many of us want, want a release valve for our dirtiness, not a full cleansing. And what happens is you come and. You, I, but don't hear accusatory language here, but people come into my office and they say things to me and I know they're not telling me everything. I can see it because no one ever tells you anything the first time. Especially men. We just let out as much as, is that it? Is that it? It's like, okay, okay. Maybe next time. Right? And I say that with a little bit of frustration, but mostly compassion. Because I'm a little bit frustrated with myself when I do that. And I know that what I want, what I need is, is kindness and compassion. But for others of you, you've been defiled by other people in such a way that it makes you feel dirty when you think about it. You've been abused physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you may feel so broken that you feel incapable of coming for cleansing because you're certain you'd be turned away. You're certain that somehow you were to blame for someone else's sin against you where you feel defiled. I know that's true of you because I've heard your stories. some of you. And if it's true of some of you, I know it's true of more of you than I even know. You feel that you're unable to be fully embraced by God. But I want to tell you, this cleansing of conscience in verse 14 is not merely some cathartic experience that makes you okay with yourself. It is a transforming, identity-shaping, burden-removing realization that the beauty of Jesus in the Gospels is real. Think about Jesus with the lepers. In my prep, I just kept thinking about this, and it almost didn't make it in. But I thought, no, this is perfect. I got to share this. If, a, if if I see a leper, I want to tell you, I probably am going to walk the other way. Right? One because I just would be scared, and I'm not proud of that. But I dare you to say you wouldn't do the same. But if you watch Jesus in the Gospels when he runs into a few lepers. Now, the issue is, in, like other illnesses that can be picked up or that are, I guess, communicable, they're, they can, they're, they're contagious, right? You tend to try to stay away from people, which is why you quarantine, you know, each other, your kids from each other when they have the flu and stuff like that, right? You, you move them away because you don't want to get infected, but also they had this other reality to where they would be ritually impure, which just means they would be restricted from going to the temple and worship right? Because they were sick. So therefore everyone stayed away from them. But what you see is you see the upside down power of Jesus. Rather than Jesus walking away from these people with leprosy or just speaking forgiveness to them, like I've forgiven you, you are forgiven, he touches them. But rather than when he touches them, what should happen, which is their illness, their uncleanness, their dirtiness should be transferred to him, what happens? His Purity, his health, his perfection, his healing flows to them. You ever noticed that? Some of us feel that way. We feel like if I bring this to other people, I just can't. I won't be received. Jesus walked to a leper. This isn't just some story made up, right? This isn't a cartoon. He walked to a man that, whose body parts were falling off. Because of this disease, he touched the man and the man was healed. That's the upside down power of turning things on their head. That is the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. As the old hymn says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn, drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's what that hymn is saying. And so before we move on from this point and quickly in on the third one, I need you to bear with me for a second because it, it might feel like I'm sort of going on a tangent, but I'm not. This is going to take us directly into our last point. When we understand that the cleanliness, the purity of Jesus flows to unclean people rather than unclean people's uncleanness flowing to the clean Jesus, right? When we understand that, It it, it, uh, illuminates the sacrificial system in Leviticus. Some of you are so scared and excited that I'm about to take us to Leviticus. Just for a second. Just for a second, okay? The language of pure and impure in Leviticus was language of a ritual state, not a moral state. So this is what I mean by that, right? Just like someone physically clean, right? Right? some of you took a shower this morning, so you're cleaner than others, okay? That doesn't mean that you are more morally righteous than that person, right? It could be. It could be. In my book, you are, but in in God's book, you're not, okay? In Leviticus, you're not, right? Just because you're more physically clean than someone else doesn't mean you're automatically uh, more morally righteous, okay? So, a person's ritual state, though, would determine what a person could do or couldn't do, or where they could go or couldn't go in worship. OK? So this is why even the priests, even though they could go places that the ordinary person couldn't go in Israel, they had to be ritually cleansed in order to perform their duties that God gave them. So I want to give you an example from modern day world, and I want to tell you why it matters. Florida hospital is right over here. Every single one of us right now could walk into Florida hospital in the, in the main area, and no one would turn us away right? However, let's say you try to go visit someone who just had a baby, right? You know that if you had the flu, they're not going to let you in there. They're not going to let you in that room. You may get in the hospital, but they're not going to let you in the, on that floor. They're not going to let you in the room where those new babies are, right? Now, let's go one step further. Right now, at Florida Hospital, there are probably surgeries happening right now, okay? And think about the, the surgery. You may be able to get in the hospital, you may be completely healthy, no flu, no fever, no anything, but you can't get into the operating room until what happens, right? Until you're sterile. You see what I'm saying? You can be completely healthy, but you also have to be sterile to go in there. You have to scrub in, right? You have to have the mask on. You have to have all of that. So just as your physical health and cleanness determine what you can do and where you can go in a hospital, the Israelites' ritual state determined what they could do and where they could go in terms of worship. And the reason this matters is because wherever you can go in the camp for Israel determines how close you can get to God. Can you get in the outer court of the, of the temple? Can, can you go a little further? Well, who can go in? And who can go into the most holy place? Very few people. Very few people. And that leads me to this last point, the shortest point, and that is sacrificial blood clears the way to closeness. So you see, the context of sacrifice is covenant, which means you didn't come up with this. God moved toward you. There's nothing you could do to move toward God. He first had to move toward you, and he did, and he provided a way And then you have this second reality that not only have you been forgiven, but you've been cleansed. And not just cleansed on the outside, but to your core, in your conscience, you've been cleansed from your uncleanness. This pollution has been removed from you in Jesus. Your shame can be gone. And now you've been, therefore, ritually cleansed, which means anything that would have kept you from the presence of God is now removed. So in verses chapter 9, verses 6 through 10, the stress is falling upon limited access to God that was permitted under the old covenant. If you go back and read verses 6 through 10, only priests could enter the tabernacle where they carried out their assigned ministries. And an entrance into the most holy place where God manifested his presence visibly was even more restricted. The old sanctuary consisted in a system of barriers between the worshiper and God. That's what he's trying to tell us, right? That's why he says every phrase underscores this limited access to God in the Levitical arrangement. Listen to this. Only the high priest, only once a year, never without blood, right? He's he's emphasizing that there are barriers between the people and the presence of of God. Every phrase underscores that. But Jesus, he says, now has cleared the way to closeness to God by his own blood. How? Securing an eternal redemption. And in verse 14, he says that we now have a purified conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is what it means. It reminds us, that God is not just saving us from, but he's saving us to something. Okay? He's not just saving us from our sins, because that would be a real simple and kind of shallow message. That's what I think, right? If that's where it ends, I'm not as interested. But if I'm invited into relationship to join God in what he's doing, that, that's something very interesting. But more than that, if I get to join God and be with him in closeness, with him in relationship, with no fear. He knows everything about me. I'll end with this illustration. I saw recently on BBC there was some there were some new uh like practice paintings. I, I'm not into art, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. There were some practice paintings. I guess artist practice, from Leonardo da Vinci. And they were so faded, you thought that they were ruined. You thought that you would never be able to see what was on them, that that what used to be on them was was cleansed away by time. And they were put then under this, this new type of UV light. And as soon as the light was turned on, it was vivid. You can Google this. Go to Google videos, type in BBC, Leonardo da Vinci, light. That's how I found it because I'd heard about it. And you can watch them. You can watch them turn on the light and instantly everything you thought was hidden is there. And they turn it off and it's gone. On, it's there. I want you to know that God's vision of you is like that light, right? No matter how long ago something was, boom, he sees it. But here's the good news. The good news is that the blood of Jesus is so powerful that there is no light that could ever bring that back up. It is eradicated. It is gone. You put the blood of Jesus on your sin, just like if I were to put the blood of Jesus on that painting, and then I put it under that light and turn on the light, it's gone. It's covered. It's gone forever. And so that frees us up. That removes all barriers. And that is the beauty of sacrifice. That is the power of of the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for uh, all of the the sins we're not even aware of that have been removed and all of its pollutants that were left behind from that sin we committed or that sin that was committed against us. All those pollutants have been cleansed. They've been purified. I ask that those of us here who are suffering from a conscience that is weighed down and burdened and is trying to create our own way of cleanliness, that we would be reminded again this morning that we can come and expose ourselves to your shining light, and there we will find mercy, there we will find purification, there we will find closeness, Forgiveness and kindness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.